in the morning. When you want the news, you need the front page every hour on the press box. Nothing's writing on this except the uh, First Amendment, the Constitution, freedom of the press, and maybe the future of the country. Not that any of that matters. And now, the news. The Las Vegas Aces won game one of the WNBA final 67-64 over the Connecticut Sun. Uh, a key 10 minutes in this game, De'Erica Hamby played. Uh, the Aces in those 10 minutes outscored Connecticut by seven. De'Erica Hamby uh, had a knee injury late in the regular season. She has played for a few minutes here and there in the postseason, but has not been back at 100%. Um, her replacement's been Kia Stokes for the most part. The Aces have not been good with Kia Stokes on the floor in the postseason, despite being up one nothing in the WNBA Finals. Uh, the other option they've played is Ileana Ruper. They've not been very good when she has been on the floor. They were minus seven yesterday when she was out there. They have played small a little bit as well with just four guards around Asia Wilson. But if they can get anything productive out of De'Erica Hamby, it gives the Aces a much bigger advantage because their biggest weakness right now is that Kia Stokes spot when she's on the floor because she's a zero on offense for them. She does not score for them, and defenses don't really have to guard her. Um, but one thing that is still incredible to me is Chelsea Gray. And she had a couple of possessions late in that last minute. There, She had some turnovers that um, gave the Sun a chance late in that game, right? That game should not have been a three-point final. But beyond that, I am amazed that Chelsea Gray continues to make bad shots, but bad's not even the right word because she keeps making them. The amount of times that she takes a shot, and my initial thought is, that is not a good shot, and then it goes in. It, it happens all of the time, and she has done it game after game. I am astounded how she keeps doing this. She has been phenomenal. Asia Wilson's the MVP of the team. Asia Wilson's probably going to end up winning finals MVP because I assume she's still going to be leading scorer of this team, but Chelsea Gray making shots out of essentially nothing is a massive reason why the Aces are two wins away from winning the WNBA title. Okay, I don't have anything to add to that, but I do have this to add. In the NCAA Women's Basketball Rulebook, <laughs> Rule 5, Section 1, Articles 7 and 8. A tap is a type of try for field goal whereby a player attempts to score two or three points by directing a live ball into her team's basket with her hand oh. or fingers, without oh. the ball coming to rest in her hand, a tap starts when the player's hand or fingers oh, touch the ball. I don't like this. In my game, sorry, guys. Oh, come the, on. The Jared Allen touch would not work. Come on. I don't like it. I don't like it. I need a specific rule that says no hair allowed. That's ridiculous. Um, it's not. That's not fair. So Jared Allen's going to have to put his hand into his afro to have it graze off his fingertips for that to count. Okay, I guess. And have it be legally visible within his afro. <laughs> oh, then he's, yeah, then we're out of luck. Yeah, that's not going to be good. That thing's thick. Chelsea brings it up around the right flank to the top of the key. Gets a pick from Asia. Asia slips. Chelsea elects to go instead to Jackie Young on the right wing. Back over in the corner to repair inside to Asia. Draws a double team, now a triple team. Asia working inside with the rolling left hand hook. Kiss it off the glass. The bank is open on a Sunday, and the MVP scores again. She now has 11, and it's 24-13. Nebraska fired Scott Frost yesterday. Nebraska lost to Georgia Southern on Saturday. 
in what is one of the most incredible stats. Nebraska was 5-22 and in one-score games under Scott Frost, including 0-10 in the last two seasons. Like, Adam, you and I talk a lot about, like, one-score games and the idea that they – they even out, right? You're not usually going to be good or bad in one-score games. That is unbelievably impressive. To Nebraska was not a program under Scott Frost. They got blown out very often. But they still did not win very often. But they found a way to lose every single game they played in the end. And it's one of the most incredible stats. Because you could go through the Scott Frost era and be like, all right, we were one play away in every single game from playing for like the Big Ten title or something like that. But instead, he's fired and collecting $15 million as a buyout. So, Tyler, which group of fans do you think is clinging to the notion of a legacy that will never be rebuilt harder? UNLV basketball or Nebraska football? Uh, Nebraska's still selling out their football games, right? Like, they still have a massive crowd coming to watch those. The Thomas and Mac is pretty empty on most occasions. So I feel like most UNLV fans have kind of given up on the idea that that could come back, whereas Nebraska fans still think it could. And I, I'm sure there are some that still expect it. Whoever ponied up $15 million as a buyout thinks that it should still be happening. So I'll say Nebraska fans are clinging on harder than UNLV fans. Okay, so then my quick question is, what in your life have you ever gone, well, I could wait and it would be half off but I'm just going to pay double so, now. That's the like that's the level of all right, bleep it. That's the fun detail on Scott Frost. Uh his buyout, they owe him 15 million dollars. If Nebraska had waited until October 1st to fire him, his buyout would have been cut in half to 7.5 million dollars. There is somebody I'm assuming booster related. I'm not guessing their athletic director decided we've got to get rid of him now. I'm assuming there's a booster there that was like, I don't care. He's got to go now. Here's our 7.5 extra million dollars that you need to get rid of him now. But have you ever had a decision I mean, in your I'm life where you're like, I'll, I'll pay double. I'm sure if it was like $40 instead of 20, but not 15 million instead <laughs> of seven point. Like we talk about these programs getting a ton of money in the power conferences. That's still a lot of money. When you can save $7.5 million by just waiting three weeks, it's not like the se- they're not going to save the season. They play Oklahoma this week. The season's not going to be saved because whoever the hell they promoted as interim is going to suddenly be the reason they win a one-score game. By the way, going to be hilarious if Nebraska beats Oklahoma in a one-score game this weekend. Will be one of the funniest things we've seen. I'm out. Adam, does Alabama's 20-19 win over Texas mean very much? Means a lot to Texas. I know you talked before about how we shouldn't talk about Texas as the scrappy underdog, but how long has it been since Texas was relevant? Right? Truly relevant. Vince Young, right? Yeah. That was the last time the Texas that really meant anything. And so if they're gonna be able to take Alabama, any version of Alabama, down to the fourth quarter to a final score, then yeah, I think that that is quite significant for Texas and for Alabama. I'm not worried because they never play this kind of game, right? They never go out in non-conference and actually play someone real. So I'm not surprised because we, we have no idea what they would look like early in the season against a quality opponent. They never play them. I think we're going to look back at the end of the year and that game is not... We're, we're going to view that more as an outlier for Alabama than anything else. Like, I still think this team is going to be 
right there with Georgia as the top two teams in college football. And I don't think this game means too much. I don't think it's, oh, they only beat Texas by one. That means they're losing two SEC games or something like that. I think that's more of the outlier game. And I'm curious to see if that's the outlier game for Texas or if Texas actually is a legitimate contender in the Big 12. Because if, you know, you can play Alabama to a one-point game, then you should be the top of the Big 12 or at least right there at the top of the Big 12. So I'm curious if it's an outlier for Texas or not at the end of the season. And by the way, uh, always love when we get these types of quotes. Texas head coach Steve Sarkeesian after the game. We didn't lose today. We just ran out of time. Oh, Mike, there is not a single (laughs) quote in all of sports that drives me crazier than we know we're the better team, but we lost. (laughs) No, we have an objective measure that tells us whether you're the better team. It is called the score. And so don't try to sell me on that one, please. I mean, that sounds like a guy who's every once in a while like, I could have gotten drunk, but the bar closed. Is that you? No, it's Steve Sarkeesian. I know. crafty wording right there. I give you credit. (laughs) 2022 is expected to be Tom Brady's last season. According to Ian Rappaport, the 45-year-old is heading into what is expected to be his final season in the NFL, according to sources. But the more interesting part from that report is we finally got an update on what Tom Brady did for 11 days when he was gone from training camp. According to Ian Rappaport, Brady's 11-day hiatus included a family vacation to the Bahamas that he had promised to his family back in the spring when he had retired and then unretired about a month later. Um, I very much enjoy Tom Brady or the idea at some point, Tom Brady saying, okay, I'm going to come back and play for you, Tampa Bay, but I'm going to need 11 days off in training camp. And the Buccaneers saying, that's no problem. Yeah, yeah, of course. You, you don't have to show up for all any training camp if you don't want to. 11 days, that's nothing. We'll, we won't even text you when you're gone. Who are they going to run out there this year if Tom Brady wasn't the quarterback? Um, that's a good question. What would they have done? I mean, that's the natural landing spot for Jimmy Garoppolo, right? Yeah. Which Probably. is hilarious in its own right. Yeah. But ultimately, you knew that you weren't turning the reins over to Blaine Gabbert. If someone's got you over the barrel, just admit that they've got you over the barrel. <laughs> Here's your 11-day vacation in the middle of training camp. Uh, Tom Brady does not have a contract for next season. Um, I still don't believe he's actually going to retire. Like we, People can say that all they want until that guy actually is retired for an entire season. That's when I'll believe Tom Brady's done playing in the NFL. Did you enjoy, by the way, them having Michael Jordan do the intro and talk about these two great competitors, some of the greatest that we've ever seen in their sports. And you think like, no, by the time Jordan with the Wizards happened, we were pretty sure Mike was cooked. (laughs) Uh, Tom Brady's still out there Uh, acting like one of the two or three best quarterbacks in the league. I will say that people people forget that NJ with the Wizards was still averaging like 20-something points a game and was still like functionally fine. He just was couldn't move from the waist down. Yeah. He was functionally fine, but couldn't move from the waist down. So (laughs) 20 points a game was largely a function of Michael Jordan being the only one on that team allowed to shoot the ball. Well, when you're the owner, they let you do it. Uh, The NBA could add an in-season tournament starting in 2023-2024, according to Sham Sharnia. It would be a fun little tournament where they would take some regular season games played through November and take the top eight teams, and then those top eight would play a single elimination tournament 
all of the games in the single elimination tournament would count towards the regular seasons. This is not adding new games with one exception. The final of this tournament would be an extra game. That would be a game 83 for somebody, but it would be in the, in the middle of the season. I like the idea of an in-season tournament. I like soccer where they play for three or four different trophies every single year, but I have two main questions. What do the teams get out of this? I feel like they should guarantee a playoff spot. If you win this tournament, doesn't matter what you do the rest of the season, you're in the postseason. And what do the players get out of it? Technically, they're still regular season games, so they're still that part of it's an incentive to play in these games. But is there going to be a payout big enough for the players to actually be excited about winning this tournament? If they can answer those two questions, then I think this will be a pretty fun uh, implementation into the NBA regular season. If not, then nobody's going to care. Not the players, not the teams, not the fans. Now, this is really a dumb idea. Like this is a, I love the the play-in tournament. I think it's a great addition to the NBA. I don't think all ideas like this are bad, but this is a patently stupid idea. There's no purpose for it. No American wants to watch for a second or third trophy and try to understand what it means. Like, you want to make this some sort of fun exhibition where maybe you switch up who's on what team a month before the trade deadline and, you know, guys who've been rumored to want to play together <laughs> randomly end up on the same team? Yeah, that could be fun. <laughs> Otherwise, we're basically stopping the NBA to play for, in wrestling terms, the Intercontinental Championship. All right, coming up next, Ed Grady hopefully joins us from an airport. Turner can deliver here in the clutch. First pitch of the shot to left field, clutch. It's a grand slam. 411 feet. Turner's second home run of the day. He has knocked in half of the Dodgers' 10 runs. You're listening to the Press Box Summer Edition featuring Adam Candy. Joining us now, Ed Graney. Ed, uh, where are we talking to you from? You're talking to me from the Southwest Terminal, and you will hear many announcements during this, so they will speak over me for sure. Yes. uh, Standing next to a gate that will hopefully take me home to what I'm hearing is might be rainy Sandy, uh, rainy Las Vegas. It is very, very, very yeah. rainy here. Um, interesting. Very nice. So uh, live from the airport, I'm excited for some announcements. Um, oh yeah, you'll hear them. Uh, I'll ask you the, uh, the vague question we started the show with. Who is to blame for the Raiders' loss? Derek Carr. <sighs> Not very That's good. That's my man. <laughs> so... <laughs> How much uh, minus? There you go. Oh yeah, you want to give out some grades? Let's uh, give a give a grade to the trick play they ran, where Devontae Adams was supposed to throw the ball and Derek Carr was supposed to block Joey Bosa. I'm going to give a D because Carr Carr didn't really do much blocking on that play. (laughs) D. Um, How is that not enough? What do you mean a D? Well, I'm feeling good this morning, Tyler. (laughs) It's uh, it's not that hot in LA, (laughs) so I'm feeling a little feeling a little spry. No, I mean I. He, uh, you know, some of the, oh, there you go. Hey. Some of the, uh, yeah, some of the, um, uh, you know, some of the picks happen. I get that. I mean, some of those things happen. The underthrow guy, he didn't see the, uh, he didn't see the linebacker drop back. The one I really thought was bad, and you guys probably talked about it, was the one where he missed Waller on the touchdown because it's instead of 7 3, it's 3 3. And I thought that was a bad one. I think in your ninth year, you got to make that throw. Um, you have to. You, you can't. You can't miss that throw. So I thought that was bad. Um, 
And, you know, I mean, I just thought that uh, he didn't play very well, and the other guy who was quarterback played pretty well, and that had a lot to do with it. Ed, the Raiders' offensive line problems, we beat them into the ground over the entirety of the offseason. So how much of what happened with Derek Carr are you willing to assign to the offensive line? Because for me, I said not a lot, and for Tyler, he said that's part of the problem as well. I thought it was part of the problem. I also thought he held onto the ball um, uh, a little too much a lot of the time. Um, they were mixing and matching. Here's the thing about Josh McDaniels afterwards. They're mixing and matching seven guys, and he said because they all earned the right to play. I don't know if that was a good thing. Um, you know, I mean, they might have earned it, but if you earn it, you'd hope that there's a you know a settled line that can you know play most of the game. But they kept bringing people in and out, so I don't know if that means they were very settled. So I think you have to give some blame to them. I don't think all six sacks you know are their fault, but I you know they didn't play very well. And once again, we go back to a position group where they just didn't upgrade in the off season. They just didn't do much for it. So. First impression, not good, but I agree that uh, Carr had something to do with this. It would have been five sacks because uh, Devontae was a sack when uh, they missed the block and Joey Bosa got to Devontae. <laughs> Incomplete. Uh, so on the offensive line, I know uh, Vinny Bassinore from the Review Journal, he wrote about the Raiders, how oh, they're still experimenting on the offensive line despite having an entire offseason and preseason to do that. Are uh, is, it, is this going to be the entire season where they're just rotating through guys and they're just bad the entire time? I mean, I don't know if it's the entire season, but I don't know if they show up against Arizona next week and they're suddenly great, right? Um, they weren't very good last year. They weren't very good yesterday. Um, hopefully, for their sake, some of these guys will take positions to where they don't have to rotate you know, people in and out. Um, apologize about the announcement, but they're ordering. They are bordering uh, uh, gate number eight number 11a um so you know i don't think they're uh very good they weren't very good yesterday and i don't know how much better they can be next week ed most important question what level status are you on southwest uh a a list okay so you have a list status so no matter when they board the flight you're still going to be able to get yourself a good seat we're not going to be putting you into like the exit row of the you know the back row of the plane right no, no, no. I go for, and I got it coming out here. It's it's dicey, but fifty percent of the time I can get the uh, I can get the uh, exit row with no seat in front. But that is, that and was, by the way, what's the best you've ever done? I, I once had B six and got that seat. Oh, that's impressive, oh, Adam. You mean the best I've ever gotten with the number, and I still like got how, that? like the what's the worst number you've ever had on Southwest, and still gotten that beautiful seat that has nobody in front of you. <laughs> I got it the other day with a twenty-seven. I don't That's know if I've good. gotten it with when I don't know if I've gotten it when you have to go to thirty-one to thirty-five. When it's not the first thirty, um, I have gotten it a high twenties. I got it the other day a twenty-seven, and today I'm a twenty-seven. So I'll be booking now. I'm trying to get a book that again. Adam, who, what morons were on that plane that didn't take that seat when you were B six? And the best part about it was we were flying to Denver. Like it was basically you know an hour forty-five, two-hour flight. I'm like really none of you wants this seat because we were on a unlv trip going up to wyoming and i'm like oh this is the best that it's going to get like this is i'm going to laramie wyoming this is going to be the highlight of my trip (laughs) well if that's where you're going the uh seat was definitely the highlight all right no Uh, offense no offense uh all our listeners and laramie and i i'll ask you i'll ask you this outside of offensive line and quarterback play 
What did you think was more concerning? The run game pretty much being non-existent or the Raiders not having a single sack on Justin Herbert? Ooh, that's a good one. I'm going to say not having a sack on Justin Herbert because of the hype that was put around that defensive line and those edge guys all, all off season. Um, Chandler Jones had two tackles. I think he had one quarterback hit. Max Crosby had eight tackles. Um, he seemed to apply more pressure than Chandler did. But, yeah, I, I'm going to go with that. You know, you know, the run game wasn't good at all. Josh Jacobs, I, I think I wrote that in the grades today that he had like 137 against these guys last January, right? And I think he only had 57 today, yesterday, and they didn't get much run game going. But I'll still go with the edge rushers. Um, you know, that's a good defense they played for the most part. So I'll still go with the edge rushers couldn't get home and they couldn't sack him one time. He's, I mean, he's really good um, avoiding stuff, uh, and he's really good, period. Um, some of those throws, I thought, I didn't even put a lot of the blame on, on two of the touchdowns. The first one was a ridiculous throw. And then the back shoulder one down the sideline for the touchdown was a ridiculous throw by him. So I put more onus on not being able to get him than some of the back end guys who just, you know, I mean, they just, he's just too good. Ed, what changed for you, if anything, on your view of either the Chargers or the Raiders yesterday? Um, not much. I mean, as bad as poorly as they played, they still had the ball, you know, what, what was it, three minutes with uh, a chance to drive. So, you know, I, the Chargers almost chargered it up, uh, only seven points in the second half, zero in the fourth quarter. Um, you know, I think Chargers are better than them, but I don't know how much. Um, so it didn't really change much. I don't. I mean, Carr's not going to throw three interceptions next week, I don't think. Um, so not much change. I didn't think, I think, I thought the Chargers would win the game. They won the game, but I didn't walk away saying, oh, you know, this means that, you know, the Raiders are going to open up with a bunch of losses and stuff. I still think they're a good team. It's just you can't, you can't throw three picks. And, you know, he can't end, end drives by – and he admitted it afterwards that he forced the ball and, he, you know, he just threw, threw passes that he didn't need to throw at those moments. Um, so not much change. In my, I still think they're two good teams. I think Tyler and I both have them third in the division. So I didn't walk away with any other – we'll see Denver tonight, but I didn't walk away with any different thoughts than that. Uh, before we let you go, can you give us a grade for the airport you're in? Oh, LAX? Um, Well, for Southwest, it's an A. They're coming. coming, uh, There was no crowds departing, and coming in this morning, we got through security in like six minutes. Wow. So, and yeah, I mean, for as big as this place is, I don't fly much more in Southwest, but for as big as this place is, it's definitely an A. All right. We'll see you tomorrow, Ed. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. So, Ed Graney, live from the airport with great announcements in the background. Coming up next, we'll stick with the NFL as Miles Simmons joins the show. Red zone for Atlanta, first and goal at the three. From under center, Mariota's going to keep it and sneak for the touchdown. Oh, how about you, Marcus Mariota? Twins to the left, the tight end to each side. That's Thomas and Ricci, Mayfield under center. Back to throw, buys time, deep downfield, Anderson wide open, 25, 20, 10, 5, touchdown, Carolina! Back to the Press Box Summer Edition, featuring Adam Candy. Joining us now from Pro Football Talk is Miles Simmons. Good morning, Miles. How are you today? Uh, good morning, guys. I'm doing all right. Why, why didn't you play like the last thing? That Carolina, they didn't win that game. <laughs> Carolina scoring a touchdown. They lost. 
We it's got highlights. You got Jared's got to play the highlights for everybody. So well, I'm just yeah. saying, like you know, let's let's get to the real highlight there. All right, you know, <laughs> Cade York bangs up 58 yarder, wins the game. The only uh, kicker to actually make a kick yesterday, I think. Um, yeah, it seemed like it. <laughs> so I want to I want to ask you on the AFC West. We see the Chiefs blow out the Cardinals. The Chargers win a close game against the Raiders. Broncos play tonight, obviously. Uh, what's your thoughts after week one? Is this still just the Chiefs division to win and nobody's going to be particularly close? Or do you think somebody can give them a legitimate run for this division title? Man, I think it's going to be tough to give the Chiefs a run because I think we've got a motivated Patrick Mahomes and we got a motivated Chiefs team to show, like, yo, we're still the top dogs in that division. And I was at the Chargers Chiefs, excuse me, Chargers Raiders game yesterday, and I just I felt like those two teams are good, but they're not great. And and the Chargers have a chance to be great because their quarterback is great. But the second half yesterday of that game, the Chargers should have been able to pull away from the Raiders, and they couldn't do it. And if not for Derek Carr, you know, as he said himself, trying to be too aggressive, the Raiders really could have come back and won that game because look, the defense just did a really nice job shutting down the Chargers' offense in that game. And so, you know, there are going to be games this year that the Chiefs lose. It happens. Like, that's just the way this league works. But I just feel like the way they've come in, the way they have revamped that offense, they've still got weapons on defense, guys like Chris Jones, they brought in Justin Reed. Like, I, I think it's still the Chiefs' division to lose. And, Miles, the biggest thing that seemed to happen for the Chiefs yesterday that carried over from last year is that whatever the defense was willing to give Patrick Mahomes, he was perfectly willing to take it. Like, that offense put up 40-plus points, and can you remember a single explosive play? Like there's no Tyreek Hill over the top running through the defense kind of plays for anybody, and yet they still picked the Cardinals apart. Right, they did. I mean, like they got some stuff with Travis Kelsey where you know he starts making moves. I, I think he had eight for eight catches, one twenty-one yards, and a touchdown. And if I'm any defensive coordinator, like, that's the one thing I don't want to happen. Like you, you can't have Travis Kelsey going off for one twenty plus on you. Because you know he is the security blanket. You know he's the weapon. You've got to make other guys beat you. So, I mean, you're, you're right. I, I think it's going to be, can the Chiefs stay patient? You know, and, and it's funny because we didn't think that, like, there was much consternation going on behind the scenes with Tyreek Hill and Patrick Mahomes and all that in their offense until after the season, and he's traded to the Dolphins, and he has this podcast that needed to be said. And he starts talking about how, like, he wanted more targets than one of the ball. That's like, dude, like, you were third in the league in receptions, I think, behind Cup and Devontae Adams. What the hell are you talking about? But, like, if you don't have that for Patrick Mahomes anymore and he feels a little bit more free to just go out there, read the play, take what the defense is giving him and not think, oh, uh, I, I really should get it into Tyreek Hill's hands, like, I just I feel like we may be seeing the beginning of the best year yet for Patrick Mahomes. Did you uh, leave the Raiders Chargers game thinking the Raiders are a playoff team? Oh, boy, that's a good question, huh? I mean, especially in a loaded AFC. I mean, I, I, I picked them to make the playoff, which is on the record at, at ProFootballTalk.com. I guess you can go look at that post if you really want to. 
And I, nothing I saw yesterday made me think that that's not going to happen. I mean, I, I still think that that's a good offense. And I think we saw with Patrick Graham, you know, especially in the second half, that defense can still get after folks. The, the one thing, and I, I don't want to, like, put Max Crosby down because I don't think he's – he's a really, really good player. But I think sometimes when we start talking about, man, he's getting pressures, he's getting pressures, it's like those are almost sacks. And a lot of times you need your defensive guy to be able to get that dude to the ground. Right? There were plays that he obviously influenced and affected – and sometimes when he would get to Justin Herbert, he'd hit him. But, like, if you're not getting the sacks, the sacks really do make a difference, you know? And so, like, that's one thing where it's like, mm, man, if you can just actually get home, you can really disrupt some more of those drives. So I, I think the Raiders are still a playoff team, yeah. Speaking of sacks making a difference, Matthew Stafford took seven of them on Thursday through three interceptions and obviously there are the lingering questions about his elbow you know that Rams organization well Miles how concerned are you about what you saw in week one out of the offense for LA um I'm I'm I would say I'm concerned but I'm not sounding the alarm if that makes sense right like you have to be able to go back and say what did we do wrong why weren't we as prepared as we should have been, and can we fix it in, I guess, what, the 10 days that you have between taking on the Bills and then taking on the Atlanta Falcons? You know, one of the things that I was talking in the press box with a couple of reporters about is that Sean McVay, yes, had been 5-0 and in season openers, but if you look back at those teams that they beat, I mean, they're pretty crappy teams, right? Like, in 17, <laughs> it was the Colts, right? Like, 18, it was the Raiders. They weren't very good when John Gruden came back. 19, the Carolina Panthers. I mean, Dallas in 2020, like they ended up 6-10. and 10. Last year, it was the crappy Chicago Bears. So, like, and usually McVay doesn't play any of those dudes in the preseason, so it makes a difference. When they come out there, they can kind of use the first half, like, oh, okay, let's figure this out, let's figure that out, and in the second half, we got it. You can't do that against the Buffalo Bills and all the continuity that they still have and the mentality that they're coming in with, which is we're going to wreck everything this year and we're going to come take it from you. So there's, yeah, like if Stafford's elbow is still going to be a thing, which it is, and look, if you watched that game last Thursday, it shouldn't not be a thing based on his performance then there is some concern, but I think they can go back out this week. They should probably be able to have a nice get-right game against the Atlanta Falcons, and then we'll see where they are. But, yeah, I, I think that there's reason for concern, but not reason for alarm yet. If you're the Cowboys, are you trading for Jimmy Garoppolo? Uh, I mean, like, is Jimmy Garoppolo really going to come in there and keep you a playoff contender? I, I mean, like, you, you, you lose your starting quarterback in this league. Unless you are the 2017 Eagles, you, you're done. Like, it's just the way this is, especially if you lose your QB at the start of the season. Apparently he's going to be out reportedly now for six to eight weeks. Saw that out of Dallas this morning. And that is half the season. And the NFC East doesn't know, scare me. I think the Cowboys could still potentially pull out a seven seed, but their schedule's not that easy. They don't—they didn't seem that great to me in the first place. You know, they've got issues on the OL. They've got issues at receiver. I don't—I don't really know what you do, but I don't think Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be a solution to what's more of an overarching problem that the Cowboys have. 
I need a little bit of external validation here, Miles, because <laughs> after years of rooting against the Giants just because I've been rooting for draft picks, is it okay if I start rooting for them again? I think so, yeah. yeah. I, look, I, I, I like what Brian Dable's brought to the team, you know, and I, I don't necessarily know what to expect, but I thought that they would look better. But after the last couple of years with Joe Judge, you at least have – an offense that is a part of the living, breathing NFL again. I add something. Saquon <laughs> Barkley actually looked like a viable running back, and frankly, I was a little bit surprised by that. So, I mean, you had a great game yesterday. So, yeah, look, I mean, the, the Titans looked a little disappointing. I like they didn't come out like a house of fire like you would hope that they would after the disappointment of uh, losing in the divisional round when you were the number one seed. Um, but I think that there's reason to be optimistic about the Giants if you want to be, for sure. All right. Uh, last one before we let you go. Any concern about the Packers, or is this just like last year where they lost 38-3 to and then won 13 games anyways? I, I, uh, again, it's like concern, but not necessarily alarm yet because they still have a reputation, right? And they still have Aaron Rodgers. And Matt LaFleur has been a great coach for them. And, yes, Aaron Rodgers helps that. But LaFleur has gotten them to 13 wins in three straight years. Now, they don't have Devontae Adams anymore. So, like, what is that going to mean, right? Can Christian Watson come back and he be reliable targets? Can Dobbs can be a reliable target? Randall Cobb, we still know it. Can Lazard come back and be effective after missing the game's injury? Like, there's a lot there that is concerning, but I think at least for the next couple weeks, we can give him the benefit of the doubt. Well, he is Miles Simmons from Pro Football Talk. Miles, as always, we appreciate it. Take care, guys. Uh, So there's Miles on the NFL after week one. And now we've got tickets to go see Aerosmith. Deuces are wild residency going on now through December at Dolby Live at Park MGM. So we got two tickets for you to go see Aerosmith. 702-364-1100 is the phone number. If you want to win tickets to the Aerosmith residency out at Park MGM, that's 702-364-1100. We'll take caller number 11 at 702-364-1100. The 2-0 pitch here for Albert Pujols. DeYoung deals. Pujols swings and lifts a high fly ball. That's it deep. Center field. It might go. It's a gunner. It's a gunner for Pujols. He gives the Cardinals the lead in the ninth inning with home run. Six, nine, seven. All alone in fourth place in Major League Baseball history. All of the sun, none of the fun. On the Press Box Summer Edition. Featuring Adam Candy. Congratulations to Eli. He won a pair of tickets to go see Aerosmith coming up later in the show. We're going to have tickets to go see Alice Cooper. So stay tuned for that if you want to go see Alice Cooper. Um, First Monday after the NFL season. But I do want to talk a little bit of Golden Knights. Actually, I had uh, quite a bit of Golden Knights news uh, over the weekend. But first off, Adam, an important question for you. Who wins the next playoff series as captain of their team? Mark Stone or Nick Suzuki? See, there you go again, Tyler. There you go again. What did I do? I just asked a question. What a hater. Mark Stone is done with people like you. Just asked a question. He's done with it. He doesn't want to hear about it anymore. (laughs) He does not want to hear your negativity about the Golden Knights. So whatever. They'll just go out and do what they do. I guess maybe you think it'll be Nick Suzuki. I think it'll be Mark Stone. Wow. So you're not a hater. Look at you. Um 
That's a good uh, good lead-in. Let's read a quote from Mark Stone that he gave to Gary Lawless uh, at NHL.com. We feel disrespected, which is fine. If people want to say we suck, I don't give a bleep. It is what it is. Oh, God. But we have to prove ourselves. We have to prove it to ourselves, to our fans, and to management that we're right there with the contenders. We made some changes, but I still feel like we can compete at the highest level. Uh, Mark Stone also said, people can think what they want. Um, He said this while in Canada, by the way. People can think what they want. After spending the summer in Canada, you wouldn't believe how often I was told how bad we were. It's great. I like that. All of a sudden, we're David instead of Goliath. It's all right. I believe in this team. I believe in the guys. I believe in the leadership. It'll be exciting to have a full training camp with the coaching staff. I still love the grit on the team, the passion of the team. People can think what they want. The only telling part of the tale is the performance on the ice. Uh, Is Mark Stone Derek Carr? No, he's worse. Yeah, I was going to say, well, his accent's better. Well, at least we know where Mark Stone is from. (laughs) Uh, This is really unbecoming of a captain of a team. Right? Like, Mark Davis... uh, Mark Davis. (laughs) Mark Stone uh, has been a pretty straightforward captain of the Golden Knights, right? Like, he's a guy where even before the days where they put a C on anybody's chest, as soon as he got here... We looked at it and said, yeah, just just give it to Mark Stone already. He's the guy who leads them on the ice. He's the guy who seems to be their emotional leader, et cetera, et cetera. But here's the problem with this whole analogy of everyone thinks we suck and now we're David instead of Goliath. No, you were never Goliath. Like, that's the problem. The problem is everyone expected you to be Goliath and you keep flaming out. So if you want to play that card, then go win something because you haven't won anything. Mark Stone trying to play the chip on the shoulder already is what's fascinating to me. Like they, they haven't even gotten to training camp yet. Right. And who knows when Mark Stone's going to be at training camp, not the golden Knights. That's for sure. But like they've even gotten into the regular season and there's already this, we feel disrespected. There's a chip on our shoulder. And I think my favorite thing that athletes do is they talk about anything that gives them a chip on their shoulder. And then in the same breath, try to say it doesn't matter. Uh, when clearly it does, Mark Stone gave like two paragraphs worth of quotes about why it matters and then was like, ah, uh, it is what it is. We don't care um, when they clearly do care. But it's just interesting to me that Mark Stone's already playing that because I feel like uh, it's it's too early and they're probably going to need that at some point during the season because they actually, uh, okay, I'll tell them right now, they probably aren't going to be very good this year. Like they probably aren't going to be a legitimate contender, like he says. They've got to prove that they can be content right there with the contenders. They're probably not going to be that good. This roster is probably not going to be one of the top four or five in the league. They're going to be worse than that. And therefore, uh, people are probably going to be proven right about what the Golden Knights are. Well, but no. more importantly, nobody wants to hear it from the Vegas Golden Knights. Nobody wants to hear it from a franchise that was in the Stanley Cup final in their first year, P.S., before Mark Stone got here. Because, look, I, I think Mark Stone has been an exceptional player for the Golden Knights when healthy. That being said, to come out and sound this tone with a franchise that everybody already thinks looks at itself as having hit a home run and what was born on third base, stop. Just stop. Nobody buys it. It's disingenuous. Uh, how many people do you think actually came up to him in Canada and said, you suck? I don't have the balls to go up to Mark Stone and tell him <laughs> right? he sucks. Right? I sit behind a microphone and tell him he's disingenuous. 
Like he said, after spending the summer in Canada, you wouldn't believe how often I was told how bad we were. I don't. I don't believe that. Also, Canadians known for being very polite. Well, I once had a Canadian roommate who apologized to a pole he walked into. Are they mean about hockey though? I feel like that oh, might be the outlier okay. for them. They might be like, yeah, we actually that are mud mean. Rooms. Yeah, we actually are mean about the hockey here. But I just can't imagine people going up to Mark Stone and be like, hey, Vegas Golden Knights, you guys suck. Like maybe it was one person, but I just, and is that all it takes for Mark Stone to be like, wow, the whole world's against us now. It's us against the world because one random Canadian said that. It's just, it is a fascinating stance for Mark Stone to take. And uh, is there any intrigue in you and the, medium in which this was uh presented uh the team employee as a reporter gary lawless on nhl.com yes there is it's not the main story but uh the fact that gary lawless the team insider put this out says to me that uh you know maybe mark stone's not happy with everything within that organization right uh this was not an off season to remember for the vegas golden knights <laughs> and of course when you acquire Jack Eichel mid-season, then you probably aren't going to have an off-season to remember. But it's been an off-season to forget, uh, especially when you take Max Pacioretty away from the team. And by the way, uh, now that Nick Suzuki today has been named the captain of the Montreal Canadiens, we always talk about, oh, you can't grade trades when they happen. You have to wait till later. Is it later enough? I think so. Jared, are you ready for, for a grade real quick here? Golden Knights trading with the Montreal Canadiens. F. F. There you go. Fail. Uh, Failure. But, but you still, Adam, you still think it's uh, Mark Stone winning a next postseason series as captain before Nick Suzuki? Yes, I do. Oh, the, the Golden Knights are going to make the playoffs this year. Okay. Look, you're so optimistic. Mark Stone's going to love you. <laughs>